As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. Coming up on this show... High fives all round for Chelsea, who thumped Bristol City 5-0 to go five points clear at the top of the table. Wonder Weir strikes again for City in the Manchester derby. And as we head into the international break, we go inside the Wales camp with Reddings and Harrod James. Welcome along. I'm Lindsay Hooper. No Kate this week, but I've not been left on my lonesome. I'm joined by the Athletics women's football correspondent, Katie Wyatt, also nominee for the Football Supporters Association's Writer of the Year. Did that come as a bit of a surprise for you, Katie? Yeah, it definitely did, because I mean, I'm not entirely sure how there are so many awards and everything. You're not entirely sure how all of them work. So I think that this is one that football fans have voted for or put me forward for. So it was a really big surprise because it wasn't one that anyone had sort of discussed with me or anything like that. Alongside Katie on the show today, the editor of She Kicks magazine, Jen O'Neill. Jen, how are you? I know that you're a keen runner. Have you still been doing that or been put off by the snow and ice? I don't get put off by the snow. I've been a bit uh, upset because I, I had a high mileage month in January for some virtual event and had a bit of an injury. So I've just been walking in the snow instead. Oh. I, I had a job last night. It's, everything's back on track. I'm not grumpy, Jen, anymore. Oh, good. Okay. And and then just to put you back a little bit further, it's pancake day today. <laughs> oh, I don't like pancakes. Oh, I know. I know. It might it might slow down that running technique a little bit by tomorrow. <laughs> um, What are your favourite toppings of choice, both of you? I'm I'm savoury, I'm not sweet tooth, so I'm a bit boring. Katie, save me. Yeah, probably just simple, like golden syrup. Yeah, I'm I'm sugar and lemon. I think that's probably the most boring, isn't it? And forget pancakes. I see that you've been eating humble pie, Katie, with one mm. of your articles. We'll come on to that later on, okay? Manchester City fans might want to stay listening. I think I need to join in too, because I remember the episode of this show where we both went quite hard on Manchester City quite a few weeks back. Uh, but we will start somewhere else. Plenty to discuss from the last round of matches before the international break. And we will begin with the league leaders. The Champions League is back and to be fair, so is the Europa League Man United fans, which means there's no better time to sign up for all the unrivaled coverage at The Athletic. Right now, new subscribers can get a half-price annual subscription that works out less than £1 a week for an entire year. All you have to do is head to theathletic.com slash offside. But hurry, you've only got until the 25th of February. That's theathletic.com slash 
Offside. It was a five-star display from Chelsea who beat bottom club Bristol City 5-0. They go five points clear at the top of the WSL and it seems that nothing can stop the Blues when they're in this kind of form. Frank Kirby and Sam Kerr, they combined for goal number one. Penilla Harder made it two before Kirby again struck home for number three. And then after the break, Bethany England delivered a pinpoint cross for Kerr to head in and then she scrambled in Chelsea's fifth herself. So we're one week on both from that shock loss to Brighton Brighton, Chelsea then thump in five. Is this to be expected, Jen? Yeah, well, and the the big win I think was the Arsenal win as well in midweek, that, and that sort of seeped into this. Emma Hayes said after the game last week, didn't she, that this is how you judge your dressing room. It's the reaction, and um, that both teams who've been on the end of that reaction probably haven't enjoyed it very much. They're scintillating going forward as they often have been under Emma Hayes, and she's amassing this collection of amazing world talents it's the way they start games they're like a blue swarm they could have been four or five goals up even before they got the first goal against Bristol it's pretty terrifying to see you know when you realize there's 90 minutes to go and they're already backs against the wall and Sophie Bagley and big up to the baggers because she kept the Mm. scoreline down she had a a very important game for for City yeah Chelsea looked um yeah frightening they did. And Katie, I mean, this was a starting 11 for Chelsea that I thought just on paper, it probably is there as, as one of the best, I think. I know that there's a lot of strength in depth to this team. And I'm sure we can talk about the strike force in particular for this one, especially considering five goals were scored. But, you know, Kirby's gone up to 14 for the season now. Harder and Kerr, they're on 12 goals for the season. England's got 10. I mean, the goals are coming from all over. But I also think that there's, there's a player that we've not really paid much attention to this season, who I thought was brilliant in this one that was Sophie Ingle I mean who caught your eye I mean I think it's just one of the strongest if not the strongest strike forces in the WSL in terms of not just numerically and the amount of goals that you were listing there but the way that they interact with each other the things that Kirby in particular does that's just very very hard for teams to find a weak point there and you do fear for them when they let a goal in because you look at Chelsea's strength and depth and you think oh gosh they're going to bring on Beth England or they're going to bring so-and-so on and it just seems very bottomless depth and quite endless stream of talent there at the moment but it's very hard to pinpoint even players there that go undiscovered or not really hailed because if we think of Magdalena Eriksson is a player that people outside of women's football probably don't know her but is someone that's really highly regarded for us and I suppose that Erin Cuthbert and could be in the same vein there but Sophie Ingle I think is one that we I don't feel like she's unsung because I feel like the goals that she gets to certainly make her grab headlines and make people sit up and notice but I feel that if you do watch them on anything close to a regular basis you do see the extent of her involvement and and the significance of her influence. From a Bristol City point of view would this have been one their bottom of the league they were taken on Chelsea top of the league would they have always have written this one off and just been going for a performance factor? Um, I think so, yeah. I mean, Matt Beard was saying after in the press conference that this isn't one that will define their season. And I think if you look at the change in playing style since he has taken over and the slight upturning results, you can understand why he felt that. And I certainly don't think that it's going to be the one that sends them down or the most critical one of their season. But there is such a gulf between Chelsea specifically and the bottom few sides that I do feel that for some of them, you do get the sense that maybe it's over before a season started. It's very, very difficult 
for them. I know that it's very odd saying this in, in a week where Brighton have done what they've done, but I do feel like that gulf is so pronounced um, between Chelsea and the majority of teams that it's very difficult, I think, to envisage anything other than a Chelsea win in certain cases. It feels incredible to be talking about a 5-0 victory and paying credit to the goalkeeper for Bristol City, doesn't it? Because Sophie Bagley, I, I think she was one of the highlights. What scoreline do you think this could have been without her? Um, could have been into double figures, that, but that's that's what her job is. It's to try and repel as many efforts as possible. I've played a long time ago in the dark ages, but I've played in games where you know you're probably going to lose. So you <laughs> you you go out there with um, a, a plan to to do the the good things as well as you can, and when you you take that into important games in the future, Bristol have got a lot of games left that they can get points from and, and need to get points from. There will have been a lot of eyes as well on Ebony Salmon because she got her first England call-up. And I think a lot of people thinking, oh, you know, let's have a look at this player coming through that that has been getting lots of plaudits throughout the season, plays for one of the lower teams, but has finally got some recognition. But was this not the game really for her to shine? Not necessarily. She had a chance, didn't she? She even later on um, showed her pace and burst away, but uh, put it over. That's not to knock her because Sam Kerr's been doing that a few times lately. She gets a lot more chances. She nutmegged Sophie Ingle in the first ten minutes. I've really enjoyed that, but it wasn't it wasn't the match for her to to really shine. There'll be more chances for that, and it's a, it's a big opportunity for her to be training with the the quality and the intense nature of this England squad coming up with only twenty one players in it. Mm. It was Valentine's Day on Sunday and I'm bringing it up on purpose because after the match, Chelsea duo Penilla Harder and Magda Eriksson, who are in a relationship together, they offered support to members of the LGBT plus community who are struggling to open up about their sexuality. They said their DMs were open to anyone wanting to chat or looking for advice. It does seem, Katie, that this is one particular partnership as well that is doing so much for the game in that department. They're, they're very, very open, Harder and Eriksson. There were pictures of them at the World Cup as well and it does feel like the games come on from their arrival. Yeah definitely I think that the amount of stuff that they do in terms of their part of Common Goal as well I think they were one of the first tranche of female players to be involved in that but I think the timing of it is really really significant that particularly at the moment with social media for minority groups whether that's in terms of sexuality or skin colour, race or gender that social media I don't know if it's because there's so much general societal anger around covid and then that gets extrapolated into just being vicious to other people but they just seem such nasty toxic places at the moment with so much um nastiness aimed at aimed at people and that was just such a marked departure from that and i think a really useful use of social media to offer support to people that need it most absolutely and this reference next katie is going to go right over your head but jen might just about understand where i'm coming from so we're going to stick with our 80s theme jen from five star chelsea to new order you're listening to the offside rule wsl edition from muddy Deans media and the athletic Oh, lovely footwork there from Weir! A special goal in a special game from Caroline Weir. That is world class. That is outstanding. A worldie from Weir. 
feel like I want to react to that goal already, but I'm holding back. So Manchester City leapfrogged rivals Manchester United into second place after a convincing 3-0 win in the Manchester derby on Friday night. Uh, Defender Lucy Bronze opened the scoring in the first half with a volley before a deflected Lauren Hemp shot made it 2-0 after the break. And as we heard there, Caroline Weir added a third late on, a wonderful chipped effort from the edge of the 18-yard box and definitely the way to seal this match. We talked about Wonder Weir in the in the titles. Should we start with her, Caroline Weir, and, and just how good she's been this season? Yeah, I do think Caroline Weir's had a really, really impressive season. I think the Everton game is the one that sticks in my mind where she got so many assists and was just absolutely unstoppable and pinging in crosses and just has such a good aim with the ball and really, really difficult for, for them to stop her. And I think that she's just continued in that vein since then. And I think that she's really starting to really take the floor and, and command attention in these massive games like the Derby. She's just terrific performances in those games and a player that is really making everyone else sit up and take notice and demand that the GB team be built around her almost. And Jen, you were right in the thick of the reactions to this on social media and there were so many players as well watching this match. Uh, can you just tell us the word that was just used repeatedly about this goal? Well, it was a flood of filth, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. the, Twitter was filled with the word filthy and filth. And and I, I just think it, it showed what an event that Friday night game could be for the women's game. It was such a platform because so many top-level players were watching it and the engagement was fantastic. And quality recognises quality. And they really did recognise that as a, a superb piece of skill. But it, it was also the anticipation in the work rate. She closed down Toon, so Toon makes a loose touch she picks it up it's a drag back turn she absolutely drops Jackie Gurnan who's a fantastic and a dogged player and then it's the awareness and just that deft little chip with a bit of spin on it perfectly weighted and in the thick of a game that is so frenetic as well because there was still quite a bit of time left at that point it wasn't at the death this one this is a derby game so it's yeah it's like it's 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 madness you know there's a huge amount of effort coming in from every angle and the speed of the game and to do that is it was beautiful and it capped off another great performance from her in training when you interview players they all like the Man City players they all fangirl Caroline Weir Georgia Stanway will, will go on about the things that Weir can do in training and it's great when we see glimpses of that on the pitch as well okay let's talk about the title race then I say hands up who'd written off City and I've got mine in the air Katie and I know that yours would be as well I think we were in agreement at the time certainly on this show that I think we were probably talking about nine weeks ago that we said look already we know it's so early on but they've got to just be going for Champions League spot now. They're at the title race and we're having to do a bit of the humble pie eating right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's a very strange one because I think in previous seasons, I remember Nick Cushing making the point very emphatically that if you lose the games around the head-to-heads uh, with the big three, so if you're losing to the Bristols, the Reddings, the West Ham or drawing against those kind of clubs, it's very, very difficult to then make up that ground elsewhere and they're the games that really kill your title challenge. And I remember a few seasons ago when Emma Hayes had just come back from having a baby and then later said, oh, my head wasn't in it and I was struggling with the adjustment and everything, that Chelsea had lost so many games at the start of that season that she was saying once you have a bad start and you lose that many it's pretty much impossible to make up the ground so I think that they're the two recent examples that I was thinking of when I was thinking oh look at where City are now and how far behind they are they're never gonna 
catch up but incredibly they have done so it's it's one of those where mm. you sort of have to think oh gosh I got that one very very wrong and I still felt that it was going to be okay for us because I thought you know what they've got Arsenal and Man United they're not going to win both of those so we probably still have a case and a point to make off the back of that but then of course they did so they're, they're seven games unbeaten we well and truly have to say credit Manchester City and where do you think this upturn in form has come from Jen and I suppose the next thing is do you think they're even capable of of catching Chelsea? Well, all eyes on the 25th of April because that's when they play Chelsea. And that that loss to Brighton by Chelsea gave everybody a bit of a glimmer of hope. It's a, a few extra points that you're closer to, to catching them. I, I think, it, you know, you'll use all the words that Gareth Taylor uses. It's not the most exciting to listen to in post-match, but there is an element of truth with what he's saying about bedding in and getting to know the players and them getting to know how he wants to play. They've made... Good signings. Chloe Kelly has been consistent all the way through. Lauren Hemp coming back has definitely helped. I think that she really adds something to the balance of that that attack. Yeah, I think it's just a case of them sort of getting into the, the role, into the momentum. Sam Mewis is a miss, but they're, they're doing fine without her. And that's impressive too, because she was such a colossal figure for them early on. Yeah, big point that, because Sam Mewis, I thought that they were really going to feel that void, but I, I haven't seen it on the pitch so far. And I suppose we, we know that confidence breeds confidence when you're seven games unbeaten. There will be a mentality at the moment that they'll feel a bit indestructible and that will get you so far. You just wonder who the team is going to be that's asking the biggest questions coming up of them. Um, Manchester United, I would have thought could have been that side, but I, I honestly feel at the moment they've lost some rhythm. There, There's a some part of their play now that just a bit disjointed. I don't know whether either of you would agree. I think so, yeah. And I think you're really seeing the difficulty of them now without Tobin Heath and the number of other players that they've lost as well, that you do see real weaknesses in that team that maybe you didn't see before when they were all fit and firing at the start of the season when they were playing together really, really cohesively. So I think it's just a matter of waiting for them to find that again and hoping that they haven't lost too much ground in the meantime. But Casey Stoney I thought was very interesting post-match after the derby when she almost downplayed their form and said, oh, well, we never expected to be anything close to title challenges and the same was always about the Champions League. And I imagine that there is quite a lot of truth in that in terms of they've never finished um, in the Champions League spots in the WSL before, partly because they've only been in it for mm. two seasons. But I thought it was just very telling that she highlighted that and maybe took the pressure off them a little bit and maybe downplayed the, the form that they have been in. This has been two defeats in a row for them. They played a game more than uh, Manchester City and Chelsea. I think it's worth pointing that out in the table. However, you can't see um, Casey not addressing the the conceding of goals here. I think this is the, the thing that she'll work on quickest, Jen. She said, we've conceded five goals in two games. If you're going to win a title, you can't do that. So next time that they come out, are we expecting a much tighter, closer match? Yeah, but they're set pieces as well. They were soft goals, apart from maybe that, that we are strike. You can't really do anything about that, I guess, although it was a slack touch. So yeah, there's a lot to work on. And yeah, we talked earlier on in the season, can they keep it going? And at that point, you have to give them, have to back them and say, yeah, but they were grinding out wins and games when they weren't that great. You know, when it was sort of 50-50, they were getting the, the 51 to 49, they were making it theirs. They're still making chances, actually, in these games they've lost. With better finishing, with press, on fire and really match fit and sharp, that would have been a much closer game. They, they could have got a result or been close to getting a result. So it's not all lost. It's mm. the, the worry is the, is the injuries that keep ticking over. Leah Galton's a big miss as well now. Hopefully she's not too going to be up for too long. 
a mention for Arsenal as well, because I wonder if we can rule them out completely of this title race. Uh, their match against Villa on Sunday was postponed due to a frozen pitch. Uh, last Wednesday, they did play a midweek game against Chelsea. They lost that 3-0, as Jen touched on earlier. So we wonder whether that's it for the Gunners. Uh, they're nine points adrift of Manchester United in third, 15 points off Chelsea. Uh, I, I mean, Arsenal at the moment, despite having that postponement, you'd think it's too much making up of ground to do. Definitely, yeah. And I think it's, you almost don't know, first of all, you have to have the likes of Chelsea, Manchester City dropping points. But I also don't see Arsenal being able to make up that ground and, and beat those teams in that big three. I just think we have seen this season, we've always had this concern under Monty Murrow in particular that Arsenal have never performed against or very rarely performed against the big three and been so far behind Chelsea Manchester City but I think that this season you've seen that feeling a little bit more pronounced than ever that they've just seemed so far behind Chelsea and City and really struggled in those games to exert themselves and to get anything out of them so I do worry for them if that's going to persist. Is it better from a mental point of view from a player's point of view Jen to actually you know reevaluate the target and say actually it's Champions League now forget the title? Yeah, I think that's a realistic thing to do. That I think they've got seven seven games left, and they're all winnable. They've got Manu to play at home, eighteenth um, of March. It's scheduled for, so that could be a, a big one. They've got to go on a faultless run of form. Now they're a team that actually, when they they get into their rhythm, then they're they're very difficult to beat. So don't write them off catching Manchester United and Manchester United looking over their shoulder might be that might be uncomfortable for them as well. Title, I think, is it's gone. So. They've got to be realistic and, and get on with the task in hand. I just wonder what, what you know, the whole disruption to team spirit of, of what happened over Christmas. And it's 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 a bit of a worry, really, because they've got the talent and you see it in, in glimpses. And talking about forward lines, they've got a brilliant forward line. It's just not quite clicking at the moment. Mm. And speaking of disruptions, that was the second time Villa's home game against Arsenal has been called off. It was postponed a fortnight ago as well, if you remember. And I also wanted to bring up the fact that the second successive postponement for Villa after the the Birmingham derby as well. And that was called off with five minutes to go, which I imagine had your blood boiling, Jen. Well, it's it's one of those things. You, it, they didn't have too far to travel home. I think it's just about <laughs> the only positive you can you can get from it. And it's a bit of a shame as well because sort of local media, um, radio, BBC Midlands and stuff were doing it, giving it the, the the big build up. There was a lot of eyes on it, and it could have been good for women's game in the area. And it's it's frustrating. Well, I suppose the the state of the pitches comes into question, doesn't it? And I know that for that game in particular, the five-minute postponement, I think that hurt even more because they'd actually been looking at alternative places to play. So there must have been something in the back of the mind that thought this is a potential to happen. Anyway, we'll get back to the action from the weekend. And Reading against Everton next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
This was the only other match of the weekend to go ahead and it saw Everton producer come back to snatch a point at Reading. The host took the lead in the first half through Rachel Rowe, but substitute Nicolene Sorensen managed to guide a header home to equalise for the visitors with 13 minutes to play. Uh, Reading could have won it at the death. Deanna Cooper's stoppage time effort went wide. It did finish 1-1 and there's only goal difference between these teams and you think that it's going to be a little battle, a mini battle within the table between Reading and Everton and who finishes highest who do you think that will be Katie I genuinely don't know I mean Reading had a pretty poor start to the season but you look at that squad the likes of Daniel Carter Jess Fishlock Natasha Harding and Harry James and other internationals in that squad a squad of real talent and depth that I think maybe sometimes gets overlooked particularly given the start to the season that they had um, whereas Everton I think we praised them so much at the start of the season and they really came hurling out the blocks and were on fantastic form but then since they've been hit by injuries their season's really come undone and unravelled a little bit for them so I do feel really really sorry for Everton because I think there was so much focus on the start of the season of they're going to be the ones that break into the the top four and really challenge the big three and disrupt the big three and it's just not necessarily panned out for them um, since they were hit by so many injuries so I think on current form I would probably say Reading but I wonder if Jill Scott in particular forging a partnership with Izzy Christiansen might be the one that maybe catalyzes Everton a little bit and is exactly what they need at this moment in time so her impact will be really really significant. And Christensen another player that signed a new deal this week so she's going to remain at Everton for a further two and a half years. This game Gem wasn't devoid of chances I think um, Eichland off the post I thought that was going in at the start you had a very very close call at the end with Cooper which we mentioned that flick that went just wide so did you find this an entertaining one? Yeah, but from my point of view, having watched sort of 70% of it, because you do, you try to cover two games at the same time, um, it seemed like a classic game of two halves. Reading had the upper hand in the first half, obviously got the goal. I thought Eichland was really good and influential down the left. And then in the second half, it was Everton who came back at them. And Russell coming on for Lehman made a big impact. And Lucy Graham coming on just before the goal, she was a sort of an extra catalyst to their performance and gave them extra impetus. I think Everton actually in flashes look like they, they've still got, you know, what they had earlier on in the year, but it was just falling short. Whereas Reading are really in the ascendancy and the, the, there's a definite fluidity about their, their midfield play. And now they're adding goals, which was what we've complained about endlessly, them lacking up front. But I had a look at Everton's results. From the 8th of November, they lost 4-0 to Chelsea, 3-0 to Man City, 4-0 to Arsenal and 2-0 to Man U. It is just those top teams that they really struggle with and they've had two 1-1 draws with Reading. So you ask Katie to split the two, that was cruel. (laughs) It's very difficult to work out who's going to... One of them could catch Arsenal. That would be the really interesting thing. Yeah, I think that could be the next the next race that they go for. Let's round off with the only other fixture, this one from midweek, which saw Brighton secure back-to-back WSL wins for the first time. Really hard-fought victory over West Ham United. Aileen Whelan scored the game's only goal to secure Brighton's fourth win of the season, and it's moved them up to seventh. What a turnaround from Brighton. They're on a bit of a roll. Hope Powell, I saw, has been speaking out very openly about what's been happening, how she's had to basically tear it all up and start again uh, have you been impressed yeah but I think there has been a fair bit to admire for a while at Brighton I think that they have had moments that have shown that they can be a really um, significant WSL team and really impact things because I remember their draw at the 
Academy Stadium earlier this season and just how difficult they were for City to break down and almost nicked it, I think, right at the end with a couple of chances and really hasn't managed to City on the rack. So I think that they're a team that are very well structured on their good days and really uh, one that can cause a lot of problems for the bigger WSL teams. So it was certainly a surprise, I think, when they beat Chelsea. I wouldn't go far as far as to say that I was expecting that. But there's a lot, if you look at their campaign as a whole, where you can say, oh, yeah, that's really, really promising, or they did that exactly right. So I think that when they're at their best, they certainly do look like a very well-structured, well-coached WSL team. And that's no surprise, given who is their manager. And the thing is, Jen, hope is having to rejig. Sometimes enforced and and that's going to be the case for her because there's been quite a few injuries we've also had news today that Brighton defender Rebecca Stott is going to miss the rest of the season for medical reasons she's confirmed on Twitter that she's returned to Australia Um, she said she'll add more details when she's ready but has asked for some privacy and there have been a bit of a roll call of players that have have had to be sidelined some of those definitely regular first teamers so the adaptability that Hope's had to show here is that is that something that you'd expect? Well it's not easy but if you want somebody to be able to do it, then I wouldn't look much further than Hope Powell. She's an absolute master at organising teams to be, you know, resolute at the back and organised. That's that really is her her area, you know. And she's she's proven time and time again that she can get teams to do that. One of the peculiarities of the the current situation is no fans in there. You can hear her all the time if you watch games from the sidelines. You can learn quite a lot, actually. It's interesting. You know, she's this week. She's been given the LMA performance of the week for their win against Chelsea. It's the first time a female's ever won that. Um, the panel has so Howard Wilkinson and Alex Ferguson, etc. You might have heard of them yes. um, on the panel. So yeah, the, the acknowledgement of what a tremendous victory that was. It is difficult for her, and but their recruitment is 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 really um, on point. I think at Brighton, they're doing a great job, and they've they've got she's got good people behind her at the club as well. They're they're really going in the right direction and taking it at the right pace as well, Brighton. And fingers crossed we get to hear from Hope Powell in the next few weeks on this show. We have got a bid in to get her on the podcast. Um, let's finish with West Ham then. A ninth defeat of the season for them. They are one place and two points ahead of bottom club Bristol City. They're the ones, aren't they? They're the ones that Matt Beard is saying to catch his former club. Ten games left for them to try and turn it around. Yeah, I do worry for them because I think the strange thing is that the... Um sort of midpoint of the season Bristol City was so far behind that I think that there were quite a few WSL clubs in that bottom pack that thought that they were guaranteed safety because of just Bristol City you couldn't see where the next one was coming from you couldn't see where they were going to pick any points up and now that Matt has come in and started to really work wonders there you do fear for the likes of West Ham in particular I think who are maybe just sliding a little bit closer to Bristol City than you might have expected. And Ollie Harder, the new West Ham manager, I felt like his comments afterwards, they could have been Shakespearean in approach. It didn't feel very, very real. I don't know. I, I read the I read the quotes rather than listen to them. But he said, our performance was characterised by individuals' inability to positively contribute in key moments offensively and defensively. Can I paraphrase that? Yes. We were crap. <laughs> Well, no, that's that's harsh, and I say that as a joke. But no, that is like we lost, and it wasn't good enough, isn't it? But in a lot of mealy-mouthed way to to say it, that, I think that's a pro license for you. They teach you that kind of way of avoiding an answer. 
Um, we joke about it, but is but actually, is it masking something? Because in football, it's got to be real, hasn't it? Is he talking to them like real people? Well, I mean, he's not talking to the media. Like as long as he communicates with his players in truth and honesty and earns their their respect and they respect him, then that's the crucial thing. What what you waffle to people like you and I and Katie when we ask you a question is isn't that important necessarily? If he, he's not trying to win fans over, he's about trying to trying to keep a team up. Are those documentary cameras still in there? Because we'll find out whether it really is. Well, well it'd be interesting. There's, mm-hmm. there's lots of rumours come out of the, the club over the last year or two that sort of penny pinching and that kind of thing. But you just actually look at the individual talent they have. It seems peculiar that they they can't get results. They've had bad luck, definitely, but they've got good people in there and you hope that they can turn it around, but it's a big task. And God, surely Matt Beard is like, he's desperate. It's like an extra motivation to get his team at Bristol City to catch them. I'm sure that is the case. And the reason why that was the only game for us to reflect on is because Spurs-Bristol City midweek was postponed due to a... Frozen pitch. Um, a quick fire for you because the international break has come and I'm wondering who has it come at the best time for? Katie, you can answer that one. And who's it come at the worst time for, Jen? Um, probably West Ham, I think. I think for all the reasons that we have discussed, they're probably just wanting to take this time, give harder a little bit more time to work with the players, implement these ideas for them to understand those principles and for them to really rediscover themselves as a team. I think that the break and taking that pressure off for a little while has come at a really opportune moment for them. So good time for West Ham, bad time for? Well, I think that um, you look at Reading and Brighton and they probably feel they've got momentum and wanted to keep going. You don't know whether they've got players who need a bit of a break. Um, and there are other teams doing really well, but their players are internationals and are hungry to play at that level. So as long as everybody comes back fit for those top sides and they won't mind too much. No league action until the last weekend of Feb now. Uh, The first full round of matches will be the 7th of March. So you are up to date with all the WSL action from the past seven days. What we can do is take a look ahead to some of the international matches that we've got coming up. Um, Starting with Tuesday the 23rd, next Tuesday, England against Northern Ireland. I think Northern Ireland are looking at this one as a really big match for them because they've, they've hit a real good vein of form. Everton striker Simone McGill, one of the seven changes to Kenny Shields' Northern Ireland squad for this friendly. Uh, McGill did miss Northern Ireland's wins against Belarus and the Faroe Islands um, and that secured them a Euro 2022 playoff. I I do think it's going to be interesting from both sides here because Northern Ireland have had more games. They've been playing for four more because of the 2022 qualifications and the playoffs that they've got coming up in April. It'll be a practice for them for that two-legged fixture, won't it? But for England, they haven't had a competitive match for a long time. We've had lots of these training camps and then we've got the added element of of Reza coming in and wondering how she's going to do. What is it that you're looking forward to most with this one, Katie? Primarily, I'm just looking forward to seeing England playing competitively because it's been such a long time with coronavirus and when they have played these England v England friendlies, although they've been very useful, I think it's been very difficult to glean quite a few things particularly when you look at how the squads have been balanced in those games between youth and experience it's been very hard to look at certain things that have happened in those squads or certain combinations and imagine that that might be the one that they take to the World Cup or to the Olympics or to the Euros but I think seeing what Risa does will be really really interesting particularly how she structures her forward line given the depth of talent in the WSL in terms of strikers and offensive players so I think that that's probably the most 
telling and significant area that she's going to have to work with over the next few weeks. And a first official fixture, so in almost a year, Jen, should we be managing expectations of how well the Lionesses are going to be performing for this one? Yeah, but then we see the the them playing week in, week out in the WSL and there's a lot of very um, sharp and informed players. So, you know, put them... And a lot of them play in the same team, so it's not. It's, I don't think it's too much of a stretch for them to to be able to to perform. I think England actually wanted to have two games, but had to cancel the first one. So they wanted a sort of more intense game and recovery type camp. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Northern Ireland play. I've watched them quite a lot. I was at the their first game in the uh, Euros qualifiers at, in Wales when they got that last kick goal to draw two two. They're brave. They they go and get at teams. They lost six nil twice to Norway, but that was because they weren't frightened to lose. So it'd be quite interesting to see them have a go at England. They're really exciting to watch. It's sort of it, it fills my heart to see them play. And Rachel Furness is the is the sort of real main figure within that midfield. And if Jill Scott gets a hundred and fiftieth cap, which we've been told she might do, if everything goes yeah. to plan, then they used to play in the same Sunderland side in sort of two thousand and four, two thousand and five as well. When they're both kids, so there's sort of quite the nice synergies that they're going at. Jill's going to end up having Fernie kicking lumps out of her <laughs> on such an illustrious occasion. I don't know who will be kicking lumps out of which one, actually. I mean, I wouldn't fancy Furness actually uh, going in on me, but I think Jill can handle herself is what I would say. Um, Scotland next, Euro 2022 qualifiers. So there's a double header against Cyprus, then Portugal. These matches, by the way, were the ones that were postponed from September. So this Friday, Scotland travel to Cyprus. They can't qualify after they lost to Finland in December. I think worth noting that. The first matches since the departure of Shelley Kerr. So Stuart McLaren will get to put his stamp on things whilst he's in interim charge. Uh, Tuesday the 23rd of Scotland is that home game to Portugal, but it has been moved to Cyprus as well because of travel restrictions. We've got all of this playing on at the moment as another subplot. Celtic's Natalie Ross has been recalled to the squad, but they're without some big players for this one. Kim Little, Chloe Arthur, Hannah Godfrey, Christy Murray and Kirsty Smith have all been ruled out through injury. And on to Wales as well, getting together for a training squad. They're preparing for the 2023, feels like so long away, but the qualifying round for the Women's World Cup does get underway in September. And I think with Jane Ludlow departing her role, Wales will want to be getting everyone together. There's an FAW technical director now, David Adams, who will take charge for the time being. But they are hunting for a new manager. Have we heard anything on that? Have you heard anything on that, General Katie? Nope. Nope. A big solid no. We've got no gossip to bring you whatsoever. <laughs> Hopefully someone who can shed some light, seeing as neither of you can. Um, I'm going to speak to Anne Harrod-James. She's got enough caps. She should give us the lowdown. I spoke to her earlier. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And Harrod, thanks very much for joining us on the Offside Rule. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Um, the excitement in my household is getting some thermal leggings for all these cold football matches. You, you don't need them for playing, though, I guess. Well, I would love the pair if you've got any going. <laughs> um, 
it has been freezing the last few weeks playing so um they would come in handy for sure yeah well we've seen actually all these tricky conditions we've actually had frozen pitches and lots of postponements but thankfully you managed to play um your game against Everton and and that finished one all um what have your thoughts been on on the current form because I think Reading suddenly are on everybody's lips you've suddenly put this run together and really chasing those above you down yeah we I think as a group we've got um, mixed feelings at the minute I think there was a few games that we were expected to win and we perhaps just just got the point we're on a good run we're you know unbeaten in four games I think now but it's just turning them one point games into three points which is which is where we need to go um, you know where we need to improve the game against Everton we always knew it was going to be a tough game they're they're a good side and have been performing very well this year to be honest with you, it was a game of two halves. We dominated the first half and, and they dominated the second half. So um, I would say a draw was was probably a fair result overall. Within the squad, do you think you could actually catch Arsenal? Um, I think we've probably dropped a few too many points. But I'd like to think, you know, we can we can push Everton for sure. You know, I think they've got two games in hand over us at the minute. But, you know, getting points on the board is, is the most important thing. And I, and I do believe that, we can push both Everton and, and Arsenal, but um, for me, it's you know pushing Everton more more so than looking at Arsenal at the minute. You're a training squad at the moment with Wales because it is the international week. So we'll move on to, to some Welsh topics as well here. I know that you've got quite a few teammates as well from Reading who are in the Wales squad, so it must feel quite comfortable when you turn up there. <laughs> yeah, I can't get rid of them to be honest with you. <laughs> um, no, it's it's lovely, and I think we get on so well both you know, all of us at Reading and then we come to Wales and, and it's it's cliche, but we are like a family here and, you know, you can speak to anyone. We just want the best out of the group and, you know, that qualification that we um, we missed out on, you know, that's something that we're building towards for, for the next one now. And it's, it's an exciting time to be involved in, you know, it's a start of some, it's a fresh start. Um, we're all excited to be on camp, excited to see what, what the future looks like for us. And so this camp right now, like you rightly point out, it's it's all geared towards the qualifiers in September. That's for the 2023 Women's World Cup. Uh, and that'll be the, the big thing on, on your horizon that you'll want to work towards. Um, of course, everyone's talking about who is going to be the, the next Wales manager, Jane Ludlow, departing. I wondered from your point of view, who you would like to see get it. And what I mean by that is there are quite a lot of contenders I think that have been linked with the job that have come from club football backgrounds quite a lot of foreign coaches have you got any preference I think for me it's building on the great work that Jane has done for the nation you know when she came in she was here five six years I think in total and the way she moved women's football in Wales forward was something that hasn't happened before the next person who's coming into the job can't just solely sack off everything Jane's worked towards for the last five years because you know she did wonders for this team and defensively we were solid for you know for the past few seasons the next appointment is to build on that and it's you know the final third stuff you know being better in that we as players have taken responsibility for that as well so you know we're different we're a different association to the majority we've got a small pool of players and the diversity within the squad is huge you know we've got players who having to take pay cuts to come on camp because of, um, you know, they've got full-time jobs. We've got some who are playing in the championship. We've got some WSL, some playing in America. So, you know, there's such a mixed bag here that 
they have to be the right person for the job. And I'm, you know, pretty confident that the staff who are choosing the next manager will make the right decision. Perhaps more pressing for you personally might be Olympic selection, you know, Team GB. You were named in a provisional squad for 2012, I believe. Do you remember that far back? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I forgot about that. (laughs) Seems like for, it seems like ages ago now. Would, Would it mean something to you to be part of it this time? I know there's always this big debacle about all the nations coming together and we know that different FAs have different opinions on it but from a personal point of view and a playing point of view is it something that you'd like to do? Yes of course I think I'd be lying if I said it was something that I didn't want to happen of course for me on a personal level it would mean a lot to you know represent GB and and perform on, on that stage there are so many players playing who are on form right now that it's going to be a difficult decision to to name an 18 player squad who can go to to the Olympics so you know I'm realistic in that sense that it's a small squad and it will be difficult but it's something that you know I am working towards and hopefully if I can keep my performances up for Reading and both for Wales then my name might get mentioned somewhere along the line. Well, I'd be surprised if it wasn't Anne Harrod because 26 you are and you've already got 83 Wales caps. Um, You're certainly in that very experienced realm within your national side. Arguably, I I wonder whether Team GB and being part of that team for the other home nations and certainly for individual players could be even more alluring and what I mean by that is sponsorship deals things like this you look at the lionesses and the way they've been backed since Canada in 2015 and I and I think that there's a bit of a gulf in comparison with the other home nations at the moment it feels like the lionesses get a lot more national pickup I wonder how you feel about it whether it's the same in Wales whether you feel you get just as much attention for the for the Welsh side in Wales but from an outsider looking in I'm I'm not sure you do yeah I think the media on the media side of things has definitely improved within Wales. I think, you know, since um, our draw with England down in Southampton a few years ago, the media response from since that game has been has been huge for us. I think on the grand scheme of things, you know, we should have qualified this campaign, so we have underperformed. However, the group is such a strong group and we've got such talent within this group that I don't think gets recognised as much as it should you know, with regards to that, there's like sponsorship deals that you touched on that it seems from from within that, you know, you need to be playing for England to receive a sponsorship deal, which is a shame because, you know, we've like I've had eight, three caps for my country and, and I still can't get a sponsorship deal. Is this like a, a boot deal you're talking about, Anne Harrows? Yeah, it's a boot deal. Yeah. My agent's having to ring Adidas or, you know, an Adidas sponsor Wales. I play under Adidas here and, and you know, they're they're not interested for whatever reason. And, and, you know, that's, you know, we're going through a difficult time at the minute with COVID and, and I totally understand that. But if you look at the players who do receive deals, sometimes it's not the ones who are playing week in, week out for their clubs. They're not mm. playing international football. I can imagine your frustration with that because I can only guess that the there's some potential England youngsters, I would say, coming through that might only have a, a handful of caps that aren't having that struggle. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where, you know, things need to change. Some deals are only looking for strikers who are scoring goals. So if you're not a striker scoring goals, then you don't get a deal, which for me doesn't sit right. You know, if you're playing and you're performing, regardless of your position, regardless of who you play for, 
you should receive at least a boot deal. You know, you look at the men's game and I'd like to speak to, you know, players in, in my position or all of our positions within the men's game. And I'm pretty sure the majority of them would have a spot, at least a boot sponsorship that they don't have to worry about um, having to pay for their boots most months. You know, they get that supplied for them. So um, it definitely needs to change and there needs to be a shift, but it's just... You know, people need to speak about it. And um, that's, you know, the only way that we're going to force change. I really, really hope that people listening right now will take that on board. And especially the people that have got the the commercial powers, because, yeah, I, I do feel like it's a, it's a bit top heavy at times. And sometimes that there's a bit of an, an ignorance towards other nations. But not only that, I think going down the pyramid in, in, in women's football as well, um, that's where often the help's needed the most, you know. So um, thank you for raising that with us. Um, Wanted to come on to some nicer news as well that happened during lockdown because we were talking earlier in the show, I was talking with Jen O'Neill and Katie Wyatt uh, about Chelsea and and we were talking and and purring over Pinilla Harder as well, who had another great game, her and Magda Eriksson afterwards as well, saying that their DMs were open to LGBT plus support because they, they feel like the, there's maybe in, within this get the game, some people that don't feel as comfortable like they do about their relationship. And I spotted that you got engaged during lockdown to Amy Turner. You've got to now plan a wedding at the worst time on Harris. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know it was. Um, yeah, it's going to be, I think it's one that's for the for the near future, shall we say, that it's going to be down the line a little bit. A lot of saving needs to be done. But like you mentioned, you know, it's so nice to see so many people being comfortable within the environment to be able to express themselves um, over social media, you know, players opening their DMs for people to speak to. It's, you know, we're a community and we're all here to support each other. And, you know, it's so nice to see um, genuine people offer their help and support to, to others. Absolutely. I mean, congratulations to you both. And and do you feel there has been a real shift? It, it feels like something has happened sort of the last 12 months. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, that comes from forcing change. You know, we have to force change to be able to change opinions. At the minute, I think it's, you know, we're all very old school and on our thoughts and, you know, whether that's surrounding religion, race, sexuality, whatever that may be, we're we're old school with it and I think there needs to be a change and there has been a shift in that the last 12 months but you know we need to continue to to speak up um speak out about it and and you know continue um, moving forward with it we all want to hear good news at the moment and Harris so any more is welcome <laughs> um it's just been one of those one of those years hasn't it I could speak to you all day thank you so much for your time I know that you've got to get back to to training camp and probably cooling down have you got to go in one of those ice tubs at some point <laughs> Well, thankfully, um, during these times, we it's all shut off. So that's um, that's not happening in this camp, which um, is very fortunate because I don't like getting in them. No, no. That's, that, that's <laughs> the one bit where I really don't envy you guys when I see that happening. So thanks very much for speaking to us on the Offside Rule. No problem. Thanks for having me. That was Reading and Wales and Harrod James speaking to me earlier. As we record this, um, Chelsea and Manchester City are in the Champions League last 16 draw. We haven't got the outcome of that yet, but if you pop over to at Offside Rule Pod, we'll make sure we put out the the draw on there on our socials. We're also on Instagram as well. Um, Jen and Katie, I'm going to let you go. I know that you want plenty of time to go and get all the ingredients in for your pancakes later. (laughs) Have I given you the thirst for it? 
It, to me, it doesn't seem like an essential journey. No, no, it's not an essential journey, no. But hey, um, <laughs> you can always rate and review Not The Pancakes, the podcast, if you don't mind, uh, wherever you get it. Make sure you subscribe as well if you haven't already. We have been bringing you this show week on week during the pandemic, recording remotely. So a big thank you to Jen, who's one side of the country. Where are you, Jen? I'm sort of Richmond, North Yorkshire. North Yorkshire way. And we, then we dropped down to Bradford for you, Katie. Mm-hmm. And then to me in Surrey. So, yeah, we're putting it all together and we do appreciate any five-star reviews you can give. We will be back again next week. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside Rule at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Offside Rule WSL edition is a Muddy Knees Media production. The Athletic.